0: So good morning, everybody. I want to take just a moment of uh, personal privilege um, to acknowledge a loss uh, that this community has experienced uh, last week. Um, Angelo Salandra, who has been a part of our community for about 15 years, uh, passed away on Friday. Uh, Many of you knew Angelo and his wife, Lisa, but for those of you who may not have, um, Angelo has been um, really kind of a hope story. He came to uh, this church um, in a very broken place and here met uh, Christ and his faith began to grow and flourish and as his faith grew, so did his willingness to serve others. And so some of the ways that Angelo has served, uh, he was a member of our lead team, which is in essence a board of directors for this church. Uh, Angela was a member of the lead team. He was active in our youth ministry, uh, serving as a uh, adult youth advisor working with a small group of boys. Um, he was a part of small groups beyond that as well, um, very active in our small group ministry, uh, including helping me uh, start the Bible study for guys that don't do Bible study, because that's who he was, and uh, so he helped me to uh, launch that group, and uh, part of the reason it has been so dynamic uh, over the last year and a half is because of Angelo's involvement in that group. Um, He was also a part of uh, our launch team in Mount Laurel, and uh, So just in so many ways, uh, he has been a part of this community of faith and uh, he has been a personal friend to me and to my family and I feel his loss uh, personally as well. So on Thursday, Uh, we will be having his funeral service here at the church. So from 10 until noon, there'll be a time of visitation. Uh, His family will be here. And then at noon uh, will be the funeral service. It will be a service of celebration of Angelo's life. And uh, so if you have any questions, we'll be putting information out about that, but uh, you are certainly welcome to be part of that uh, uh, celebration service. And uh, I would encourage you to lift up Angelo's family in your prayers as well. So, we are starting a new series today, and it's going to be epic. It's going to be epic not because the, the sermons are going to be epic, although they might. It's going to be epic because it is built on an epic story, a story that has endured for 5,000 years because it is such a human story. And even though it's 5,000 years ago, its applications are relevant uh, to us today. It's a story that is known widely through our culture, not necessarily because people know the Bible story, but because they know the play. Joseph and His Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat by Tim Rice and by... Um, lost his name. What's the dude's name? Lloyd Andrew Lloyd Webber, yeah. Come on, folks, you knew that. Andrew Lloyd, Lloyd Webber. Um, yeah, so it was this huge hit on Broadway. It later became a movie starring Donny Osmond, and people still liked it. It was... <clears throat> um, it was is one of those plays that um, is done in high schools around the country um, and so people kind of know the story of Joseph if not because of scripture, they know it because of, of that play. But this is good stuff. It's it's powerful stuff, and and I hope that we can do it justice uh, to help make the application between a five thousand year old story and and your life and my life today. So the story begins in the book of Genesis. It's the thirty seventh chapter when we first meet Joseph, and so I want to go through this morning just the first eleven verses of. Genesis chapter 37 if you have your Bible or a Bible app you can certainly follow there and as always the words will be on the screen so here is verse one so Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan where his father had lived as a foreigner this is the account of Jacob and his family when Joseph was 17 years old He often tended his father's flocks. He worked with his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Billa and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. So I want to pause there and say that the story of Joseph, like any other human story, has a context. Like he didn't just land on the planet in a, in a bubble. He didn't exist in a bubble. He was part of a family. And so to really understand Joseph, we need to understand some of the background of his family. So I wanna just do a quick run through, a, a little background. Some of you already know the story, know the story well. Others of you may not know the story at all. Um, I'll try and tell it in a way that, that helps you connect the dots so you're you know where Joseph came from right so that we have Joseph but it opens up by telling us about his father his father's name was Jacob Jacob's father was Isaac and Isaac's father was Abraham so it all goes back to Abraham that's not a bad lineage right So Abraham, as you may know, is the father not just of the Jewish faith, but he is the father of the Muslim faith and the father of the Christian faith. All of the three great religions of the planet all trace their beginnings back to Abraham. So again, the story of Abraham is that God uh, called him out and said that I'm going to make you the father of many nations your offspring will outnumber the stars in the sky and Abraham couldn't believe it because he and his wife Sarah were ancient at that point and uh, but you know God can do whatever God wants to do and even though his wife Sarah was an old woman she conceived and they gave birth to Isaac. You also may remember that at some point in Isaac's later life that God called Abraham to sacrifice Isaac on the altar. And as Abraham was preparing to do that, God provided a substitute in the in the uh, in a ram. And that became um, a metaphor, if you will, a, a foreshadowing of this substitutionary idea of the sins of people laid on an innocent one and the blood of that innocent one covers the sins of the others. And that became the sacrificial system in Judaism, which was a precursor to our own understanding of who Jesus was as the perfect one whose sacrifice, whose blood covers our sin. So, the story begins with Abraham. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac, when he married, had twin boys, Esau and Jacob. Esau and Jacob. Esau was born first, according to uh, the story, and Jacob was born afterwards. But the Bible says that Jacob, as Esau was being born, Jacob was holding on to his brother's uh, uh, foot. He was holding on to his, to his foot, clutching on to it. And so the Hebrew word Jacob means to clutch, right? This is a clutchy guy, this, this Jacob. So he's born holding on to his brother's heel, pulling, you know, it must have been a difficult childbirth for this poor woman um, delivering these twins while the one is holding on. But that happened, and, and now there's some family dysfunction. As the oldest son of Isaac, Esau, is supposed to become the heir of all that the father has. And so in this patriarchal culture, the oldest male son, uh, when the father is old and feeble, or dies, the oldest son becomes the head of the household or depending on how large the household is, it could be the head of a tribe. Of people, and so that was supposed to be Esau. He was the oldest son, even if it were just by a few minutes. He was the oldest one, but Jacob and his mom begin to plot so that Jacob will become the heir. Weird, right? So they're plotting uh, this 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 plan that they're going to circumvent the way that it's supposed to be and rather than Esau getting Isaac's blessing, Jacob will. So Isaac now, he is an old man, he's very feeble, he's close to death, he's blind and mom and Jacob trick him into giving Jacob the blessing that was supposed to go to Esau. And because it's this covenant promise and back then your word was your bond, this is a ironclad contract, Jacob becomes the head of the household. This did not make Esau happy. Like Esau wasn't okay with that, surprisingly. And at this point, the story turns into kind of like a story of the mafia, right? Esau's like, you did what? <laughs> this is my family. You don't take my family. And so he decides he's going to kill Jacob, right? You took, I'm gonna kill you. This could be good. This may, this may, this may play. This may be the next big godfather. So if you see it, you know where this happened. You know where the story came from. All right, anyway. So Jacob's convinced that Esau is serious and has the capacity to kill him. And so he takes off out of town. He just starts running and he keeps on running until he gets to, we'll call it a ranch. Basically, it's a ranch-like kind of compound owned by his uncle Laban. And so he takes refuge at Laban's ranch where he feels like he'll be protected and, and hidden out. Uh, Esau doesn't know that that's where he is. And um, so he begins to work for his uncle. Pretty early on, he notices Laban has this beautiful daughter, Rachel. And so he goes to, goes to Laban and says, um, would you be okay if I marry Rachel. And Laban says, I'll tell you what. I'll let you marry my daughter if you work for me for seven years. Seven years. Guys, how long was your engagement? All right? Like, this is, when I went to Marilyn's dad and said, can I have your daughter's hand in marriage? I recall his response was, Yes! Not seven years of work, but all right. So he agrees that he'll work for uh, Laban for seven years in order to marry Rachel. And so as that time is ending and uh, he comes to Laban and says, you know, I, I honored my end of the contract. Um, Laban says, you know, I've been thinking about this. What? You've had seven years. Yeah, I've been thinking about this. Um, she has an older sister, Leah. Leah. And it really wouldn't be right if the younger daughter got married before the older daughter. So you can marry Leah, my older daughter. But wait, if you work seven additional years, I'll let you marry Rachel as well. Wow. Now understand, this is, you know, mind blowing to us. We're in 21st century America. It's a different day. It's a different time. This is a 5,000 year old story, okay? So it's in its own context. So he's, he agrees to that. And so he marries Leah and then he marries Rachel. And now the story gets weird. <laughs> right? All right. So. He marries Leah, and, and with Leah, he has two sons. And, no, four sons. He has four sons with Leah. And Rachel and Jacob have no children. And it is breaking Rachel's heart. And so Rachel has a... A maid servant, um, you know it's sort of like her admin, you know but a really a really committed admin and uh, who's also a slave but um, so in the absence of in vitro fertilization, they had this system of i 'm going to give my husband my maid servant and if they conceive, the baby will become partly mine as well. And so that's what they do. And so that's Billa. So Billa, the maidservant of Rachel, has two sons with Jacob. And Leah sees that and says, that is a great idea. I too have a maidservant. Her name is Zilpha. And so she gives Jacob Zilpha and has two sons with Zilpha. And then Leah has two more boys and a girl. It's a big family, you know, like minivan, the whole thing. It's, it's a big family, uh, growing family. And then finally, at the end, you know, kind of into their, they're getting into their, their, their past, their childbearing years and so forth, almost at that point, then Rachel conceives and has a child, a boy, and they name him Joseph. Okay, that's the backstory. So <clears throat> when we read about Joseph, who is now seventeen years old, and he is working uh, for his dad, working with his half brothers. These are the boys that Zilpha and Billa had, right? And uh, so that's that's who those folks are. All right. So you with me? That's the backstory. Just your normal everyday family. It's a story as old as time. All right. So then, verse uh, three through five. Jacob. Loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age and to his favorite wife. And so one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest. They couldn't say a kind word to him. Okay, so here we have now um, Joseph. First of all, he's the youngest, right? You all know, anybody here the youngest in your family? Any youngest? I was kind of in that position for a while. My parents had my brother and sister and and then me, and I was the youngest for eight years until my parents had the princess. I mean my sister um Right? We have that kind of thing, right, with the youngest one. The youngest one always is viewed by the older ones as having had the better deal, right? Mom and dad figured out how to parent by the time you came along, or they were exhausted and they didn't parent you because they didn't care anymore. It was great being the youngest, you know, and the older ones will have all of these complaints. So that's normal kind of family stuff. But then when you add to it that, in fact, dad really does like you best, that's rough. Like, this is bad parenting. Don't do this to your kids. Even if you have a favorite, don't tell them. You know, I love all my children, but I really love, you know. Don't do that, that's bad. This was not hidden at all. Now you can understand it. It was, it was this youngest one, and he came along late in life and so forth. and so you know Joseph is, or, uh, Jacob is making no qualms about Joseph being his favorite, which does not endear him to his older siblings. They are jealous of their father's affection. And then just to make it even worse, just to kind of deal the deal. Dad gives Joseph this epic article of clothing. This translates it, uh, this robe, others translate it as a multicolored robe. It is something spectacular, okay? Again, we may have a hard time conceiving of just how significant this gift is, so picture it this way in our culture. Picture that all of your, uh, the siblings in this large family have cars. You know, kind of your normal uh, old Toyota Corolla and uh, a Hyundai something or other. And, you know, it's just your, your basic mode of transportation. Um, so they're all driving cars. And then one day, Joseph pulls up in the car that dad just gave him, and it's a brand spanking new BMW right? That's the kind of the equivalency of what's going on here. Like, are you kidding me? Dad? No, they're older now. So the 17-year-old kid who has all of the attributes, I'm sure, of a 17-year-old, on top of the fact that dad really does like him best, Epic story. One night, so moving on. uh, Verses eight. One night, Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundle stood up and your bundle's all gathered round and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, so you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and the way he talked about it. So uh, picture this. You know, here's Joseph. He pulls up in his brand new BMW, hops out of the car and goes, I just had a dream. What'll I tell you about it? (laughs) You're all gonna bow down to me. It's basically what he told them. He's 17 years old. He has no idea. Last part. Soon Joseph had another dream. And again, he told his brothers about it. Listen, I had another dream, he said. Really? All right. The sun, the moon, and 11 stars bowed down before me. This time he told his dream to his, uh, to his father as well as his brothers But his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and your brothers actually come and bow down on the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dream meant. It's an epic story. It's a powerful story, and there's a couple of takeaways that just at the beginning of the story I think are, are worth highlighting as we move into this series. The, the first one is the nature of jealousy. Jealousy. Jealousy is a sin, but it's one of those sins that it's, Tempting to say it's no big deal, you know. Like everybody's a little jealous and jealousy, you know, ha ha, and wink, wink. And you know, after all this, this guy, you know, his brothers had a right. But really, jealousy is pernicious when it's left unchecked. Here's how the dictionary defines jealousy: jealousy is hostility perceiving someone has an advantage. Hostility, perceiving someone has an advantage. When you look at somebody in your life, whether it's a family member or a co-worker or a neighbor, and you perceive them as having some advantage that they don't deserve, and that creates in you a low level of hostility, like I don't want to talk to that person, I don't want to be around that person, that sin is serious. In fact, Proverbs chapter 14 says this, that jealousy is like a cancer in the bones. Jealousy is like a cancer in the bones. I mentioned to you Angelo Solandra at the beginning of this talk and Angelo had a form of cancer called multiple myeloma which is a cancer that gets into the bones. And he struggled with this over three years and I watched how devastating cancer of the bones can be to the body. And what the Bible, what the word of God tells us is that jealousy is a multiple myeloma for spiritual life, just like that cancer is for the physical life. And left unchecked and untreated, it will spread and destroy you spiritually. It's not something minor or unimportant. Jealousy is a killer. And the chemotherapy for jealousy is prayer. You need to pray that away. Confess it to God. If you know that you wrestle with jealousy toward anybody, you need to pray into that and ask God to remove that from you and forgive you from that so that it doesn't get into your bones. This story is in part fueled by the jealousy of these brothers. And while the behavior of the father was was poor, and their seventeen-year-old brother out of out of foolish pride, his attitude was poor, it doesn't excuse the brothers embracing jealousy. The second takeaway for me, from this story, is that God is still in the business of working through sinners to do his bidding. God is still in the business of working through sinners to do his business, because he doesn't have any option, right? We're all sinners, We're all broken, all of us struggle and yet God desires to use us and all we need to do is turn from our own way and toward him. There is no sin so dark, there is no brokenness so deep, there is no family dysfunction so overwhelming that would keep you from becoming the man or the woman that God dreams for you to be. And so if you feel far from God, or if there are people in your lives that you think are far from God, know that God is still in the business of transforming lives like that. And God is not far at all. In fact, when we're walking away from God and we stop and we turn toward God, what we discover is he is right there and has been there all along. There is no such thing as us being that far from God, it's the song that we've been singing over the last several uh, weeks here. That that um, is so is becoming you know one of these favorite songs I, I believe around here. Reckless love. Listen to what it said. When I was your foe, still your love fought for me. When I felt no worth, you paid it all for me. You have been so, so kind to me. Oh, the overwhelming, never ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it, and I don't deserve it. Still, You give your life away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. That's the God that we know. That's the God that we serve. That was the same God that was present in this story as well. God works in and through broken people and always has. Abraham was a coward and a liar At one point in his life, Moses was a murderer. David was an adulterer who arranged for his best friend's death, and he was a bad dad. Matthew was a traitor. Peter was a coward and a denier. Paul, was arrogant and fought against the purposes of Christ until he turned toward Christ. The overwhelming, never ending, reckless love of God for sinners, just like me and just like you. One last thing, God is still in the business of giving dreams Dreams can only be accomplished when the dreamer is in the place to transform the dream into a vision and the vision into reality. We'll talk, I'll be talking some about those distinctives. But before the dream became a vision, Joseph had to go through a nightmare. And in that nightmare time, God was perfecting his character, shaping him into the man that he needed to be so that he would be ready and able when the time came to live into that dream and realize that vision. A dream is kind of a, an idea, it's a little bit foggy, it's, it's a concept. Steve, Pastor Steve asked me uh, last week, he said, when God told you to start this church all those years ago, was that a dream or a vision? I said, it was a dream. I had no idea what it was about. All I knew was that, that God had placed on my heart to start this, a church in Voorhees. That's all I knew. And God had to do a whole lot of work in my life preparing me for what he wanted me to do. I think to some degree that's what's going on on this uh, this endeavor in Mount Laurel, that God laid this corporate dream on us. And God is in the process of forming our character corporately to prepare us for this greater vision that God has. But we have to walk through the challenges in faith before God can trust us with the full vision for what he wants us to do. And so we will walk faithfully through this, trusting God as we go through difficult times or challenges, wherever they may come. So it's true for us as individuals and it's true for us corporately as well. God is still in the business of forgiving sin, of working through the lives of sinners, of giving us dreams and visions that give us life. God is still in the business of working through faithful men and women. Let's stand together for closing prayer. So God, thank you for this story, this epic story of Flawed people trying to figure things out of turning toward you and seeing how you lead them through even times that are nightmares to realize a great vision. So I pray, Lord, as we go through this series that you will speak to our hearts, our minds, into our lives in ways that we can um, understand and translate into the ways that we behave. These are the things that we pray in Christ's name. And all God's people agreed and said, have a great weekend, everybody.